I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Prose. Casper, I just got a wonderful, wonderful haircut. It looks so good. Thank you. I feel great with it. But I cut off over a foot of hair, and that means my long hair was sort of pulling my curls in one way. And now that I have short hair, I need a totally different hair care routine. Mm. Luckily, pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And so I used the review and refine feature, and I was like, yes, I still want vegan hair care products. Yes, I still want to smell like a lavender field, (laughs) but my hair is no longer long. It is short to medium length. Please send me a different formula of shampoo and conditioner. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash Harry Potter. So you get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash Harry Potter. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash Harry Potter. Chapter four, The Seven Potters. Harry ran back upstairs to his bedroom, arriving at the window just in time to see the Dursley's car swinging out of the drive and off up the road. I'm Casper Terkyle. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Before we jump into the episode today, we want to make sure to thank some of our patrons. Sarah Raymond, Jennifer Bender, Grayson Shadler, Judy Jehoda, and Steph Hollicks. We could not be producing this podcast without you. Thank you so much for your support. Also, a big shout out to our local group in Blacksburg, Virginia, the Wesley's Wizard Wheezes. It's run by Brett Gresham and is part of the Virginia Tech campus, but is open to everyone in the local area. So if you want to join Brett and the Wesley's Wizard Wheezes, come to harrypottersacredtext.com, click on local groups and find your local group there. So my story today is a story that I actually just learned recently about my beloved Peter long before I met him because he's super old now. And this is a story about when he was really little. So he is the oldest of three. And the three of them all had little stuffed bears when they were kids. And they loved these bears. Like the eyes fell out and the mom had to re-sew buttons onto them. The ears fall off of one, right? Like these things are so, so well loved. 
And one of the ways that the boys would demonstrate their love is that every once in a while, their mother would make them wash the bears. And then she would go to throw out the water. And the boys would be like, no, this is our bear water. Or they're German. So they would say, this is our bear wasser. They would not let her throw out the soapy water that at this point was covered in like their own drool and snot and all the disgusting things the children get on their beloved stuffed animals. And they would jar the bear vasa as a way to make sure that every sacred part of their bears was safely taken care of. And I love this idea as a way to demonstrate our theme today, which is of devotion. Moody can show everybody that he cares about safety by creating a great plan, but he is devoted to safety because he brings seven stuffed headwigs. That attention to detail is what really shows his like absolute devotion. And we see that they don't just love Harry. They are devoted to him and to the cause. And so I'm interested in thinking about that line. You know, there's a line between love and devotion and devotion and obsession. And I'm pretty sure that somewhere between devotion and disgusting, disgusting obsession is Bervasa. <laughs> yeah, it's that perfect mix of, of love and like ickiness. <laughs> yeah, you're like, okay. But let's remind one another what happens in this chapter. Because I know it's one of your favorites being an action sequence. Oh my so. God. Shall I go first for the 30-second recap? <laughs> sure. I hate everything about this chapter. I hate the action. I hate that Hedwig dies. I hate everything. There's nothing <laughs> good in this chapter. Okay. I will time you. On your mark. Get set. Go. So Dursley's are gone. Harry's walking around. And then he hears a noise. And outside has landed a whole coterie of people. Tonks and Lupin and Mad-Eye Moody and Ron and Hermione and the twins and uh, Fleur and Bill and everyone's there. Wonderful. Uh, they're going to rescue Harry by half of them um, taking Polyjuice Potion from Harry's hair. And he's like, no, don't take it. Okay, fine. Here it is. And he like yanks a real chunk. That's painful. Um, and then um, they turn into little Harrys and then they fly, fly, fly. Um, and then they very quickly, everyone's surrounded and they attack Hagrid that breaks loose from the big thing and and then land safely, Voldemort eyes. I like that you said they all turn into little Harrys. <laughs> <laughs> like suddenly I was like, baby Harrys. Baby Harry. <laughs> like Polly Juice Potion replicates you, but like a wee version. <laughs> he arrived as a baby and he's leaving as six babies. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. All right. I think I missed out quite a lot. No, nothing. <laughs> okay. 30 seconds on your clock. Are you ready to roll? I am. Three, two, one, go. So Harry's in the sidecar with Hagrid and they're suddenly surrounded and the two cars get separated. They they flip upside down. They get separated. Um, Hedwig dies. Stan Shunpike comes and Harry's like, I'm not going to kill Stan. He's under the Imperius. And so he does his signature spell and then everyone's like, it's the real Harry. And they come and it turns out that Voldemort can fly and they're like shooting spells at him left and right but they keep missing Hagrid even though Hagrid is as big as Wyoming. And then they're starting to land and it seems as though they're going to be safe. He knocks out a tooth. Yeah. Oh, my God. So much is happening. I didn't even think about the tooth. There's other things to think about. <laughs> well, I think the tooth symbolizes Hedwig. <gasps> Teeth famously symbolize owls. And owls symbolize everything. So <laughs> we've really fulfilled our sacred reading already. <laughs> Done. Episode over. Can I start by thinking about devotion 
to Harry's physical place that he's leaving behind in Privet Drive. Because this really struck me. I don't know if you've ever had the experience when you're in, maybe you're in a place that's really beautiful or maybe it's a sort of temple or something and you just feel like the place is different. And the way I often think about it is, It's because people have been so devoted to it. People come in every week and change the flowers. Or this is a place that a community has gathered for generations. And Harry, of course, does not have that relationship with Privet Drive at all, right? He goes back to look under the stairs and and we're suddenly reminded grotesquely of like, Harry's life for the first 11 years of his life. I mean, it's horrific child abuse that we're reminded of. And so Harry kind of has one last sweeping look, we're told at the beginning of the chapter, at at that place. And he has this odd, empty feeling as he's thinking about leaving it forever because he's he's going to say goodbye to it. And what struck me so much is that even when he's airborne and he looks back, he can't even spot which house is his, right? Or, or where he lived. It's not his house. I guess it illustrated for me, even though you have been in a place for so long, I don't think this is home for Harry, right? Like the first time he feels home is Hogwarts. And I I was just so struck by the, I guess, the lack of devotion, even though he'd spent so long there. Yeah. And what struck me about that, right? Like he takes Hedwig on a tour of the house. Right. And it seems to be a devotion to the truth of his past. He's like, I used to live here, but that's before you knew me. And God, it was small. And there were spiders. Right. It does seem as though what he wants to take out of the house is some sort of reality and bookend his own story of like, this place sucked, but I lived here and that matters. And so I love that his tour of the house, it's a story-based tour of the house. It's his Mm. own narrative. Mm -hmm. And so what he isn't devoted to is the house itself, but what he is devoted to is making sure that he remembers what happened there. Yeah. I mean, it's miraculous nearly how we can have that resilience, how we can sometimes integrate difficult experiences to say, like, it's not that I wanted this to happen, but it's part of my story and it's made me who I am. It's remarkable that he's able to do that. Yeah. I also think it speaks to the importance of having an animal that you're devoted to. Because mm. I do think that animals are non-judgmental presences that are there through everything because they like count on you to survive. I mean, Rory has seen me cry more than anybody else in the last seven years, right? Mm. Because when I lock myself alone in my room to cry, she's still there. And I think Hedwig was there, right? Like Hedwig is the only one who witnessed the abuse that went on in that house. And now Hedwig is the only one who gets to hear his reflections as to what happened in the house. And so I was just really struck by the rewards of being devoted to an animal. We've seen the times that Hedwig has been a liability for Harry or really hard for Harry. All the times that he felt guilty that she was locked up in a cage and that he was fighting with Vernon to just let her fly and... And now I think we're seeing the rewards of that devotion. Yeah. I mean, it makes this this chapter all the harder because this is the chapter when Hedwig dies. She's killed. And one of the things I remember in my undergrad sociology class was learning about the process of interviewing people and asking them about their relationships, like who's in your family and having people kind of draw these relational maps. And very, very often 
correctly, people include their dog or their cat or pets as members of their family and statistically often more likely than their grandparents. I mean, it makes sense, right? If they live with you, you spend so much time with them. And I think for Harry, that's just dialed up to 100 because his parents, have, of course, died, right? Sirius has died. Like Hedwig is really his one family member. And so on the one hand, you, you can look at this chapter and be like, yeah, you know, it's sad. But like this represents so much more to Harry than just like a sweet owl. I feel like this is a, a sort of surrogate sister-child situation for him. Like, it's huge. Oh, it's devastating. And Hedwig is so innocent. And she could have flown to the burrow. And she was probably so scared in the cage when they got flipped over. And she's like, what the heck? Just let me fly. Hagrid is terrible at this. I am designed for it. I don't <laughs> yes. know. It's just so brutally horrible. And just think of like how dogs react to fireworks, right? Like she's in the midst of a fireworks show. Like, so this is just horribly violent and distressing, the whole thing. I know that I care too much about animals, but this is the saddest death in the whole series. And I'll stick to that. Mm. So where did you see devotion show up in this chapter? Where else? I got really moved when Hagrid pulled up on the motorbike because obviously yeah. Hagrid is the one who brought Harry. And he even says a sweet thing of like, last time I had you, like you fit in my hand. But to me, it was just a sign that everybody here is devoted to Harry, but they're also devoted to the cause. And of course, Hagrid cares about the cause, but he just loves Harry, right? Mm -hmm. He saw what happened to Lily and James. He, like, was weeping when he dropped this kid off. And as much as Privet Drive does or doesn't mean something to Harry, it means something to Hagrid, right? And yeah. I'm just imagining that he's remembering that Dumbledore was here the last time, who he was so devoted to. And I don't know. He's just such a beautiful talisman of devotion, right? He is yeah. devoted to animals. He is devoted to his friendships. I think more than anything else, Hagrid is devoted. And I can imagine in the conversations beforehand that he would have been like, I want to take Harry, right? I want to protect Harry. He would do anything. I mean, he literally throws his body onto these death eaters that surround them. And for me, what's most striking about Hagrid is comparing him to Kingsley Shacklebolt in this chapter, because Harry sees Kingsley as one of the protectors who'll be there with one of the fake Harrys and asks, like, why are you here? You're, you're guarding the prime minister. And Kingsley says, you're more important. And to me, you know, they don't have a personal relationship of great depth. Like, that's not devotion, that's duty, which is beautiful, right? And it and it's powerful and important. But it's the difference between Hagrid and Kingsley, because for Kingsley, it's a job, right, to further the mission. And as, as you said, for Hagrid, it's a personal relationship. It's a, you know. What's interesting about that comparison to me is that I think that they are the two who would most willingly, maybe with Moody, right, die for Harry and see it as like yeah line of duty versus kind of devotion yeah that's interesting and moody and kingsley it would very much be about the cause hagrid would just die for harry because he loves harry there's something unflinching about that that i think that moody strategically was counting on i think that one reason that moody you know assigns hagrid to harry is that he thinks that the death eaters won't assume that the real harry is with hagrid but I think that the other reason is he's like, it doesn't matter if Hagrid is the most trained. He will throw his body in front of Harry. Yeah. 
And so I think to some extent, Moody is exploiting the fact that the Death Eaters are there because they're scared of Voldemort. Hagrid is there because he is devoted to Harry. And mm. Moody's exploiting that difference, I think, in a beautifully strategic way. That's really smart. Yeah, that makes sense. Can I zoom in on a piece of this chapter that we probably don't talk about <laughs> when, sure. we're, when we're thinking about this chapter? Because honestly, the fighting sequences, I think, are, are tough for sacred reading sometimes. But there's something that happens much earlier in the chapter, just as Harry is leaving. And we learn about all of the characters who've gathered there and they're, you know, they're transforming into the Harrys. And people are leaning against Petunia's spotless appliances. And it was such a striking description for me because it reminded me that like all these years, Petunia is cleaning and every little tiny speck of dust, every little, you know, bit of lasagna sauce, like she is devoted to Privet Drive. But the thing that that I took away from it was the reminder that we are all devoted to something. Here we see someone being devoted to cleanliness in a way that just made me really reflect on that for myself. Like, what am I devoted to? Well, and I wonder for Petunia if it is to cleanliness itself. I think cleanliness for a lot of people is about health or about control or, right? Mm. Like, I don't think that cleanliness is about itself all the time. I know that when I feel out of control, I will just spend an hour scrubbing something. Mm. There's something really satisfying about it. And I also think it can be about love. So I don't want to completely dismiss Petunia's devotion to cleanliness. But I d- it did strike me also that it's so clean when they were leaving. It's like, what are you cleaning it for? It's going to get dusty while you're gone if you ever get to return. I mean, what it reminded me of, there's a, a cultural anthropologist, Mary Douglas, who talks about what makes something dirty. Like, why do we say some things are dirty, some things are clean? And her description of what dirt is, is that it's simply matter that's in the wrong place. If mud is in a puddle in the forest, it's not dirty. But when it's on the floor of your kitchen, then it's dirty. And so part of me wondered, for Petunia, her whole life has been shaped by having a sister who was a witch and now having this nephew in her home. Like, he is something that's out of place. And like, I suddenly saw her perspective of seeing Harry as dirt, which is awful. I mean, it's horrific. But it it helped me understand her kind of obsession with making things clean because she's trying to bring order back into her life somehow that's been so disrupted. Oh, I think that's so smart. And like, that's why she can't say anything to him at the end. She simultaneously wants to see him as human and as her nephew, but also it's like, just get out of my house. Yeah. I also think that by cleaning it on her way out the door, she's devoted to the idea that she gets to return. Oh, interesting. And I feel for her in that. I am devoted to the idea right now that things are going to return to normal. (laughs) Please. (laughs) Like that the economy is going to open back up and people are going to be rehired. And and I like haven't wrapped my mind around the fact that potentially there isn't going to be a normal for us to return to. Yeah. And especially so many people have lost loved ones. Like there really definitely is not a normal to return to. And as much as I know that in my mind, I have not come to terms with it. And so I think that I, to a large extent, am like scrubbing a stove on my way out the Mm -hmm. door. So I feel for Petunia. Yeah. 
Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Pros. Casper, I just got a wonderful, wonderful haircut. It looks so good. Thank you. I feel great with it. But I cut off over a foot of hair, and that means my long hair was sort of pulling my curls in one way. And now that I have short hair, I need a totally different hair care routine. Mm. Luckily, Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And so I used the review and refine feature, and I was like, yes, I still want vegan hair care products. Yes, I still want to smell like a lavender field, (laughs) but my hair is no longer long. It is short to medium length. Please send me a different formula of shampoo and conditioner. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash Harry Potter. So you get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash Harry Potter. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash Harry Potter. If we, if we can step into the action sequence for a moment. One of the things I'm confused about is that we see, first of all, everyone's discovered. Secondly, very quickly, they figure out that Harry is the Harry and Voldemort shows up. I mean, there's two or three times that Harry can feel Voldemort's presence. He's looking into his eyes, right? Like they are so close. And I struggled to find a way to read this sacredly because I kept getting stuck <laughs> in the thing of like, how did they escape? Hagrid is is not an easy target to miss. Honestly, he's so, he's so big. It's just so physically present. Is there more protection going on here than we understand? Let me, let me explain what I mean. We hear from Moody that the physical protection of his parents' love, right, that that love protection is not just in the physical house, but there's some sort of range. Because he says when we're out of range, you know, it will fall apart. Is there some sort of bigger range than we had understood? Like, is there sort of airspace, (laughs) which is within the range of protection? You are still in hairy safety airspace. (laughs) Please drive carefully through this safety zone. Like, what what is going on? (laughs) I also think that war is chaos. Mm. Every once in a while, it blows my mind the things that we as a society survive. Like, we live in a horrible world, but we could live in a much more chaotic world than we do. Like, yeah. the amount of nuclear bombs on this planet, we could eviscerate ourselves. And I, I think that some of that is just, like, luck and chaos. So many people died in World War One, but, like, the fact that anybody survived is sort of wild. 
And so people do die in this scene, right? Like Moody dies, George loses an ear, some Death Eaters definitely sound like they die. Mm -hmm. It rings as true that like, it's incredible that any of us survive. I mean, even just with the intricacies of our own bodies, right? Like my uterine lining almost strangled me to death. Like it had wrapped around my breathing tubes. And that's like one tiny thing to have go wrong with your body. Mm. As frustrated as I get with action sequences when I'm like, wow, these bullets sure seem to not be (laughs) landing anywhere. (laughs) As much destruction as we can do to each other, there is some like amazing capacity that we have to get through these dangerous things. I think that's beautiful reading. Yeah. So the big moment of devotion that we like have to talk about is these 13 people who show up. Physically for Harry, right? Oh, you mean the central piece of the whole chapter? Uh huh. Yes. <laughs> the title of the chapter. <laughs> and I was just wondering, like, is everybody really there for devotion? Like, we know Mundungus isn't, but like, is Moody devoted to something, or is he just like obsessive? And is Kingsley devoted, or to your point earlier, for him, is it about duty? Like Hermione and Ron are there because they are devoted to Harry, but yeah. it becomes unclear with these other characters. Yeah, no, I I definitely agree. Right, we're seeing a, a multitude of reasons why people have shown up. Mundungus is definitely there because he's been told to be there. I think what I'm noticing about devotion is that it seems to be. Both that sense of duty plus a layer of love. I think Mad-Eye and I think Kingsley and I think maybe even Tonks are there because it's the right thing to do. It's the thing that's strategically necessary. It's the thing that they've said yes to as being part of the order and continuing Dumbledore's mission in the world. And in some ways, the devotion that is there is their devotion to each other. By the time you're on the front lines, you're fighting for each other. You're fighting for your siblings in battle. And so there's there's a sense of devotion amongst one another there and a duty to Harry. But yeah, certainly for Ron and Hermione, they're there with it with an attitude of devotion to Harry because there is that duty, but there's much more than that. There's love. And I guess I just think what we're seeing in this scene is how different actions can be either acts of devotion or acts of duty. Mm. I clean my stove so that like... Peter, the kids, and I don't get botulism. Like, it is not an act of devotion for me. It is an act of duty. Like, I don't love cleanliness. I don't care. But what is an act of devotion for me is cooking, right? Like, that Mm. is duty. We need to eat. But also, like, I just love watching the kids and Peter eat food I've made. And there, mm-hmm. there is something like I want to cut off every stem and want to make sure that it's perfectly salted, right? I love your definition of duty plus love as devotion. And I like the fact that it's wrapped up in duty means that it's about action. You can't feel devotional to someone. You have to like act devoted to someone. Devotion is the like love language of acts of service. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, Casper, this is our last episode in which we will be doing marginalia for a little while. And again, this is where we wonder at our own thinking while reading. And part of what we are treating as sacred in this is our reading, right? That 
that the act of reading was a moment of devotion that mattered. Mm. And now we're trying to harness some of that in conversation. So I'm wondering a sentence that you underlined or something that you wrote in the margins. So I circled and then put three exclamation marks and a question mark around Expelliarmus. <laughs> You're like, that's strategy. <laughs> like, really? Uh, it was cute before. But the, the thing that I love and hate about it, honestly, is that it's so Harry. Like, Harry cannot help but Harry, right? Like, he's just harrying all over this chapter. And I love that this is already so much his signature spell that this is the thing that gives him away. Because, of course, it's also the way in which he has survived Voldemort, right? It's the way in which he's going to continue to survive Voldemort, to keep his values intact. Even when I'm like, you are being chased to the death. Like, what are you doing? Like, fight with real curses. You know, I I, I don't know. I feel like I wouldn't have this kind of restraint. And... The reason why he's saying Expelliarmus is because he just recognized that it's Stanley Shunpike. And he can't bring himself to hurt someone who he knows is just being used, right? This is not Stan's actual will. He knows that Stan is under control by the Death Eaters. And so it's a remarkable, nearly stupid use of a spell. It makes Harry Harry this one spell. I think it's actually a very strategic use of the spell because... really. You want to act in a way that you can defend during peace, right? Mm. And, like, you want to acknowledge that it's war and kill your enemies, but be able to imagine a world after this in which you didn't kill a victim. So I know it's, like, strategically not great, but I'm with Harry on this. I'm like, can't kill Stan. He is this multi-year victim. This poor kid. It's true. No, you're right. You're right. What did you find? What what did you underline or, or kind of mark up in some way in this reading of the chapter? So I underlined the broomstick spun to earth, but he managed to seize the strap of his rucksack mm. in the top of the cage. Um, and what struck me about it is that, you know, as much as Hedwig has represented, you know, the wizarding world to Harry, so has his broomstick. Yeah. And just how in moments of crisis, you're like, I don't care. Like he grabs Hedwig. And I just think that moments of crisis are horrible, but they do make important things really clear to us, which is that the fanciest broom that caused him to not talk to Hermione for months and that meant so much to him is a gift from Sirius and on and on, right? Like this broomstick symbolizes his relationship with his father and mm. We lose it without any ceremony. It's just like, bye. And he could Accio it, but like he doesn't even use the brain space to do that. And then when he has to blow up the sidecar with an already dead Hedwig in it, it pains him to even just hurt the lifeless body of this bird that can't mm. do anything for him anymore. And so it's just interesting to me the way that something that meant so much to you when you're in a moment of crisis, you're like, it's just wooden straw. I just think that we see a like wisdom and maturity in Harry in this moment that really struck me. Wow. That is such a more beautiful reading than mine, which was like, oh yeah, makes sense. Broom is a hard thing to catch again while a cage you can get your fingers in. <laughs> which is actually probably true, right? <laughs> like I can totally imagine myself in that situation grabbing whatever is closer and then right. being like, whoops. <laughs> Sure, let the important thing fall. 
<laughs> I, the other day, caught a falling jar and nearly broke my finger to do it. And I was like, why was breaking my finger worth a jar? Right? Like, those decisions get made so quickly that we don't always make the quote-unquote right decision. Casper, did you underline or mark up anything else? I know that you take a lot of notes. Yeah, there's one more sentence right towards the end of the chapter, which is this. Barely gripping the plummeting bike with his knees, Harry heard Voldemort scream, Mine. <laughs> it's so, so creepy. Spooky, so creepy. Can I just say, like, Voldemort is like that guy on Tinder. <laughs> He's just that creepy guy who keeps showing up. He will not let it go. You're like, no, I've swiped left. Go away. And he's like, here I am again. New profile pick. And it's like, (laughs) Jesus, Voldy. And why can he fly without anything? Like, so annoying, Voldemort. So many questions. So many questions. And yeah, what struck me is that we have this like... It's an obsession. And we've been talking about devotion, but like this is the the reverse, right? Like this is like no duty plus no love plus all the bad things, right? Like yeah. it's, it's so icky. And it's this possessiveness. I mean, this whole battlefield has been arranged by Voldemort, right? Everyone knows that when you spot the real one, go back, tell Voldy where to go. Then Voldy goes and Volds. But the other thing that strikes me is how many times can Voldemort lose? <laughs> Before he realizes, girl, it's not going to happen. I know. (laughs) Well, and this time it really reminded me of a stalker situation. Because what happens when you're being stalked is that you are not obsessed with the other person, but you learn a lot about their patterns because they are obsessed with you. All the Death Eaters suddenly disappear. And Hagrid is like, we're fine, Harry. We're fine. And Harry is like, no, we're not. This guy is obsessed with me. (laughs) Yeah. And like he knows, right? He's like, nope, I know exactly what's going to happen because this guy has been stalking me my whole life. And just like knowing people who have been stalked, right? You start to be like, that's their car. That's their this. Of course, they're stalking me today. They don't have soccer practice. And it's just like Harry does not want to know things about Voldemort. And Voldemort's obsession with him has made Harry have to be inadvertently obsessed back. Yeah. The other side of this is the impact on the Death Eaters. I mean, how many times do they have to go on a mission and fail? And really, not just them fail, but their leader fail, right? Like, I think that contributes to what we started talking about at the beginning of this chapter of this kind of rivalry, this dissent, this ultimately what's going to lead to the betrayal of Narcissa is that she's like... It's just going to happen again. You know? yeah. like, we've seen this story. We like practice all the time. Yes. <laughs> There's no pension. Why right. am I in this? Why are we doing this? It's not working. So, yeah, that's the other the, the other thing that struck me in this reading. I know if I was like the CEO of our company failed this often, I would fire myself. I'd like call a board meeting and be like, guys. <laughs> It's time to tender my resignation. Yeah. I think you can do better as your evil overlord. Yeah. <laughs> imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This week's voicemail is from Danny in Seattle. Hi, Vanessa, Casper, and Ariana. I've been catching up on the podcast. I am at the beginning of season six, and I wanted to offer a blessing to you, Casper, uh, for your moment of queering Professor Slughorn. Um, I really admire just the way that you're taking these secondary characters in the books and occasionally having a queer reading of them, even if it's just a brief moment or even kind of a joking aside. Um, several years ago, some an acquaintance that I knew online mentioned how much they wished that uh, there had been more queer representation in the books and they talked about how easy it would have been to include. Just a mention of two girls dancing together at the Yule Ball or maybe one of the Weasleys saying offhandedly, oh, Charlie doesn't seem to be interested in relationships. He's happy just focusing on his career. And for whatever reason, that moment right there that mention of the idea that Charlie might be an asexual or aromantic character really stuck in my head. And as someone who is ace herself, ever since then, whenever I reread the books and Charlie gets brought up, I get this little private feeling of joy in my chest thinking, he's like me. It's kind of crazy because it was just a friend's offhand comment, but I've taken real ownership of that character ever since then. And that really helped me understand why representation matters and why it's so important and why even if the author didn't actually intend anything, it can be really validating and important to claim characters for our own. So I just wanted to say I appreciated that. And I'm wondering if you have any other queer theories about characters in the books that you'd like to share. Thank you so much. Danny, I love that reading of Charlie. Yes, claim him. You know, that's what these books are for, right? They're for our imaginations to be enriched and to find ourselves and to find our lives reflected back to us. So I, first of all, 100% affirm and snaps for you and snaps for Charlie. 
And honestly, one of the characters, I don't think we've ever talked about this, but I, I've always had a sneaking suspicion that Neville is bi. Like, I think his attachment to Harry is in part romantic, actually. I, I think it's a little bit of hero worship. I think it's a little bit of friendship. And I think it's a little bit of like, but what if we had a beer one night and things moved beyond just friends? But he certainly has a great time after high school. <laughs> I mean, what a stud. Oh, yeah. Neville can get anybody he wants. I love reading Neville's by. That's great. I think it's important for people to be able to read themselves into the text in a lot of different ways. I really do love the reading of Hermione is Black. But I mean, for a really long time, I was very in love with the idea of Hermione as a Jewish character, right? Like mm. she has hair like mine. I also have big front teeth. Mm. She has like two doctor parents. She's a know-it-all. I'm like, oh, she's a Jew. <laughs> Hi. And there's just something so comforting about feeling like you're seen in art. I mean, we know that like a lot of people with autism read themselves into Luna. And we know that mm. a lot of trans people read themselves onto Hagrid. And I think it gets hard for me sometimes when I'm invited to see a character in a way that they aren't described and in an identity that I do not hold. Mm. If somebody were to say, can you do an autistic reading of Luna? That wouldn't make me feel comfortable because I'm like, I don't know enough about autism. I don't know enough about, you know, the mm. identity of being autistic. But I love the invitation for us to see ourselves in this text in like really radical ways. Yeah. Who would you like to bless this week, Vanessa? I would like to bless Hermione because there was a moment in the text where I was jealous of her. And that is she's like scared. It seems as though they did not go over details with everybody. Everybody signed up for this mission, but like nobody really knows what's happening. And she gets assigned Kingsley and a Thestral. And she <laughs> looks at Kingsley and he smiles at her and she smiles back. And I just felt this like warmth come over mm. me of that feeling of like I was scared and now I am in such capable hands. Mm hmm. And I haven't had that feeling in a while in America. And so I would like to offer her a blessing for that feeling of like, I'm in good hands and taken care of. And I can just hand myself over to this professional and I will be safe and okay. We all deserve to live in a world in which we feel that way in which doctors can show up and feel like there are enough masks and nurses can show up and feel like, you know, the hospitals run well and and post office workers can mm -hmm. feel that, right? Like we all mm -hmm. deserve to feel that way. And so I want to bless Hermione for like being an emblem of what I hope for us all. What about you, Casper? Who would you like to bless? The moment that I, I kind of broke my heart is early on, when everyone arrives in the house, we see Tonks and she shows off her wedding ring. And Mad-Eye interrupts. And it's not that he's wrong, right? Like they don't have a lot of time. Everyone's lives are at stake. And she just got married. She just she wants to show off this wedding ring. Like, uh, and I'm just thinking of everyone who had a wedding or a graduation or has a birthday or like just the joyful moments, right? When we gather together, when we celebrate, when we love one another, when we tell each other the stories of our lives. So many people have had to delay or cancel or reimagine how to do that. And I, my heart just goes out to anyone who's in that situation. And of course, what Moody actually says is, we'll have time to celebrate later altogether. 
And that's, that isn't going to happen. And so just the idea of like delaying these things and thinking that they'll be the same is not true. Not everyone will be able to be there. Like life will not be the same. And so uh, just a blessing for Tonks and anyone who's had, you know, a major life joyful moment, postponed, canceled, changed. Amen. You've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And if you don't have a local group that's still meeting online near you, join our Facebook Common Room to chat with other listeners about this episode. Also join our Facebook Common Room in order to join our mutual aid efforts where you can give things that you have to give or request things that you find yourself in need of. You can, of course, leave us a review on iTunes, send us a voicemail. But most importantly, book your tickets now for Harry Potter and the Sacred Text Summer Camp. It is going to be the most beautiful, bestest, amazingness highlight of 2020, even amidst all the blech, uh, <laughs> this will make a shining star in your darkest sky. I this promise. is a wee in your blech. <laughs> <laughs> Next week, we'll be reading Chapter 5, Fallen Warrior, through the theme of health. This episode was produced by Not Sorry Productions. Our executive producer is this lady. She is called Ariana Nettleman. Our associate producer is Ariana Martinez. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Bull. And we are distributed by Acast. Thanks to Danny for this week's voicemail. To Julia Argie, Nikki Zoltan, Maggie Needham, Megan Kelly, and of course, Stephanie Purcell. We'll be with you all again next week. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. And you. And you, and you, and you. All right. I think I missed out quite a lot. No, nothing. I'll just take (laughs) off where you dropped. Thank you for getting us through the... Half the the chapter. Yeah, including the roll calls. Like, who's here? Mundungus is here. (laughs) It's going to go wrong. Yeah. Mm. Um, (laughs) Yeah.